As we open up the Word of God, I wanted us to be reminded of how awesome God's Word is and how every time we open it, it's an act of worship, right? To receive the Word of God into our hearts the way we should because it is God's Word. And with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer before we open up the Word of God this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word. I thank you for the amazing gift that it is. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Lord, thank you that you are here with us now. We've gathered together this morning in your name, Jesus. And so we commit this time to you. Lord, we love you. And we pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. We've been walking through various uh, ordinary people like you and me that have encountered an extraordinary God, and their lives changed the world. We talked about Adam and Eve. We talked about Cain and Abel and Noah and the Tower of Babel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. I want you to know the timeline, right? Moses and Joshua and Caleb, those two spies that believe God for the victory. Joshua, as he conquers Jericho and Rahab giving her life to the people of God and to God and becoming part of the nation of Israel and the lineage of Jesus himself. Then Deborah and Gideon, those two judges. Then Ruth. Then Samuel, that prophet for God. Then we talked about David. You know, the first king was a failure. But David was the greatest king that Israel would ever know. And uh, we are walking through that history one step at a time. We've talked about the major movements, right? The wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, the conquest that took seven years, and then the period of the judges, which was 400 years, and three famous ones, Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. Now in the period of the United Kingdom, that lasted 120 years. Three kings, each reigning about 40 years. We're going to talk about the third one today. The third one being Solomon as he takes the throne of Israel. And the title of our message today is this, Walking in Wisdom. It's a challenge for each of us, right? How do you walk in wisdom? There are many intelligent people out there in the world that are not wise, amen? Many people that know a lot of facts, a lot of information, but have very little wisdom. Wisdom is very different from being intelligent. God wants us to be wise and intelligent. He wants us to know the word of God, but to walk in his wisdom. The bottom line is this. Wisdom from God is an essential part of living the Christian life and experiencing the fulfillment that is found only through our relationship with God. If you want to live the Christian life, you ought to be asking God for wisdom like James says. James says, if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you what? abundantly, generously, if you but ask him. It's a great prayer every morning. Lord, give me wisdom for today. God, give me wisdom as I lead my life because there are many decisions that you have to face that will require God's wisdom. We want God's wisdom. We cherish God's wisdom. We want that to fill our mind and our hearts so that every decision that we make, everyone, is empowered by and informed by the wisdom of God. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, as we see the beginning of the reign of Solomon, which lasts about 40 years. And let's begin at verse 7. 
Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. What a great request, amen? If God said to you today, hey, ask whatever you want. What, what do you want? Ask it of me. What a great question to be asked by the living God. And Solomon said to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Oh, Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. For now, you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now, here it is, the one wish that Solomon wanted. Give me now wisdom and knowledge. You know, he should have asked, could I have, could I have like three or four more wishes, right? But he asked for this. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before his people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honors, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. What a great start to the reign of Solomon. Solomon is granted one wish, and he asks for wisdom. And God said, you know what? Other people would have asked for possessions and power or revenge. But you didn't do that, Solomon. You asked for wisdom. Because of that, I will give you wisdom. I will give you knowledge. And along with that will come incredible wealth like none of the kings have ever had before you. And that's exactly what God did. People would come in and bask in the wealth and the wisdom of Solomon. He was given great wisdom by God. Uh, we are to take that example and say, you know what, I want to obtain the wisdom of God as well in my life. Let me give you some facts about Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel. He's the son of David. You know, the promise that David's throne will last forever. He reigned in Israel for about 40 years, from 970 to 930 B.C. He reigned during a time of great wealth and territorial expansion. Uh, Solomon controlled more land than any other king would. He had a man, uh, was a king that had great power and great territorial expansion. God blessed him because of his wisdom. And it was a great request that Solomon asked for. Let me tell you what the Word of God says about Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4. For Solomon was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, Calcol, Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Wow, he was a busy guy, amen? 3,000 proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs, which he wrote, contains about 915 verses. So we know that some of the Proverbs that he said didn't even make it into the Word of God. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs and also wrote 1,005 songs. He was a person that had an amazing impact, wrote three books in the Bible. And here's the first thing I want us to know as we look at this passage. True wisdom is essential to growth in our relationship with God. 
My prayer would be that every one of you, as you encounter the thinking of this world, as you encounter uh, what the world says that's contrary to the word of God, you would say, you know what, I'm going to believe the word of God. I I find the wisdom of God in his word. I am not going to believe the thinking of this world when it is contrary to the word of God. Because I I know that the opinions of the Word of God, the truths of the Word of God, the principles of the Word of God are what I need to grow in my relationship with God. See, God honored Solomon's request. God liked Solomon's request for wisdom. And it sets an example for all of us as we say, God, I I want wisdom like that as well in my life. I want to have that kind of wisdom. I define wisdom as this. The God-given ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on biblical knowledge and understanding. It's a practical application of God's word. See, that's what wisdom is. It's the God-given ability, and God will give you the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action. Whether you're in high school, whether you're in college, whether you're at Camp Pendleton, whether you're in the workplace with your family, Wherever you are, we should live in those settings based on God-given wisdom and the God-given ability to judge correctly, to make right decisions. And that's where we enter in, right? God promises us to give us the power to live the Christian life. When we fail, it's not because God has failed. We can't say, oh God, you failed me today. I made a bad decision. No, it's... We that have failed. We have not used and utilized and applied the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. See, here are the components of it. To rightly discern the problem. That's step number one. To take a problem and rightly discern what it is. Whatever problem you're facing today, to rightly diagnose the problem. That's an important step. Some people like to look at the symptoms and try to evaluate the symptoms that are happening. But we need to go deeper than that. What is the problem in my marriage? If it's a a problem that is hurting my marriage, there's a deeper root cause that's going on. We take the wisdom of God and rightly discern what the problem is. Problem in my heart, problem in my attitudes, problem in my actions. That's taking the wisdom of God. See, that's what Solomon wanted. God's wisdom more than riches. Here's another component. To identify biblical solutions. To identify biblical solutions. What's the biblical answer for the problem that I'm in? If it's a relational problem, for example, one of the answers might be to have a heart of forgiveness, right? We know that. That's from Scripture. We're to forgive like Jesus forgave us. That's a biblical solution. What gets in the way of that? Our pride. Our pride says, I'm not going to forgive that person until they come to me and say they're sorry, I'm not going to forget. I'm going to hold a grudge until that person comes to me and asks for my forgiveness. See, that's not biblical. Think of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, right? They didn't ask for forgiveness, but Jesus was already forgiving them in his heart and praying that the Father would as well. Where do I identify biblical solutions? I want to take the word of God and apply it. That's why we open it up every Sunday here at Riverview. Husbands and wives, take the word of God and apply it to your marriage. Talk about it with one another. How can we better follow the word of God? 
the wisdom of God. Here's the third component I want to highlight. Faithfully implement those solutions in the most effective way. Here's where we fail, isn't it? So many of us, we, we know what the problem is. We know what the biblical solution is. But we fall one step short of doing the wise thing. Faithfully implementing that solution into our lives. I'm going to do it God's way. I can't tell you how many people have told me over the years, and even in my own heart, how many times I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do that, God, that's so hard. I know what God's word says, but I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to apply the word of God like I should. That's an essential component to living a wise life. See, even Jesus, the Bible says this, and it's a mystery. I get it, right? But here's Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus increased in what? Wisdom. That divine hypostatic union, you know, 100% divine, 100% human, brought together in this amazing way. And somehow, Jesus, in his humanity, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I love that verse. It's a great challenge for all of us to live the kinds of lives that increase in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and the people around us. Doesn't mean that we're to be people pleasers. There will be times when walking for God and obeying God will anger people. They'll hate you. They'll be upset with you. But you know, based on the word of God, that that's okay. You're going to still live out the word of God like it tells you to. Be a follower of Jesus like he tells you to. Because you're living in wisdom. See, we know that from God's response to Solomon, when he says, hey, you didn't ask for wealth, you didn't ask for possessions, but because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wealth and possessions. But that tells us something about how valuable wisdom is. I will value wisdom more than money. I will value God's wisdom more than money. If you were asked, what is your greatest wish? Would it be God's wisdom in my life? I want to live according to God's wisdom. I want to tell you the messages that we hear in the world today are contrary to God's wisdom. Uh, and I can tell you story after story about people that have been successful in the world's eyes and yet have committed suicide, right? You've heard those stories as well. That money ultimately does not satisfy. Like John Rockefeller, the richest man in the world one time, at one time was asked, how much money do you want? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Not quite satisfied. But in God's wisdom, we can live content lives like David in Psalm 23. And I love this verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? I shall not want. That's all I need, God, is you in my life. Do you have that attitude? I want God and his wisdom more than I want money. And by the way, it's not wrong to want money. It's not wrong to be financially secure, uh, to have a job to provide for yourself. That's a good thing. But we're to want God's wisdom even more than that. I will value wisdom more than power. More than power. Solomon didn't ask for power. He asked for wisdom. But because of the wisdom God gave him, he had amazing power. I will value wisdom more than a self-indulgent lifestyle. 
hey, I, I want people to serve me. I want, I want people to be meeting every one of my needs. And by the way, God even highlights this in the text. Because you didn't ask for the life of those that you hate, that are your enemies. You didn't ask for revenge. It wasn't all about you. It was about serving the people of Israel. God loved that. And I want to challenge all of us to realize that as we apply the word of God and the wisdom of God, it can strengthen our lives, it can strengthen our marriages, it can strengthen our families, and to implement it faithfully. I love Romans 11. It says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. You know, if you want to be wealthy, quote unquote, if you want to be rich, follow the advice of this verse. Oh, I love how he starts out. Oh, Paul's like, oh man, you don't, you don't know the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. To love God's wisdom, to love his word, that you feed on it every day. Solomon started out his reign asking for wisdom. Colossians 2 reiterates that thought. In whom Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, sadly, I've met a lot of people who uh, know a lot about, let's say, creation. You know, I love uh, studying the facts behind the creation of the universe and how the evidence is totally on our side. And people come to me with this knowledge that they have, but they don't have the knowledge of the other side. They've only heard the one side, the atheistic side of our creation and how it came about. They haven't heard the other side. Why do I know that? Because I was one of those people. When I grew up in high school, all I was taught was evolution like was fact. I hadn't read the other side. And I began to doubt the word of God as a high school student. Until I said to myself, you know, I need to research this more and began to read all of these articles for years about the scientific evidence behind God. There are so many people who think they are so wise and so intelligent they can negate God and live an atheistic life and ignore all the facts that indicate to us that God exists and the facts are on our side. This could not have happened without God. All that we see around us, you sitting here today, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you imagine the wisdom that Jesus has and the power that he has to create something as complex as the human body, to create something as massive as this universe? In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not to doubt that, but to love Jesus and draw near to him. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the wisdom of this world. It says this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. I don't mind it when people think I'm a fool for God, right? I'm a fool for Christ. People look at me, oh, how, how foolish you believe in creation and that God made everything. I, I, that's a badge of honor for me. See, we're to become a fool in the world's eyes that we may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. They're, they're, they're empty if it's not the wisdom of God. My prayer would be that we would be a church that would love the wisdom of God, that we would love the word of God. 
Here's another thing that this passage shows me. It's this. True wisdom originates from the God of all truth. I love the fact that Solomon, when he wants wisdom, where does he go to? He asks God for it. That true wisdom originates from the God of all truth. If anyone on this planet disagrees with the word of God, they are a fool. That's what the Bible calls them. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs. I want to read some of the passages that Solomon wrote. Proverbs chapter 1. Great passage. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. You know, Psalms, Proverbs, just past the middle of the Bible. This book of Proverbs, 913 verses, gives us amazing wisdom. Uh, It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteous justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here, verse 7, here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to be a wise person, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I define the fear of the Lord as an awesome respect that we have for God. Yes, we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, and approach Him as the loving Father that He is. But the fear of the Lord is this awesome respect. I have this awesome respect for God and His Word and what it says. That is the beginning of wisdom. People who don't have that are fools, the Bible says. If they don't have the wisdom of God and the fear of the Lord, they're fools. James 1.5 says, and we talked about it already, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you're looking for a job today, for example, and you have two or three good choices, if you're that fortunate, or even just two, and you're wondering, which one should I take? Ask God for wisdom. That's one of the key steps of discerning the will of God. Ask God for wisdom. God, give me wisdom to make the right decision. When you came here this morning, you probably didn't pray, God, show me a sign as to which shirt to put on, what socks to wear, how to color coordinate myself. No, you use the mind that God gave you, amen? It's an amazing three pounds of matter. The most organized matter in all the universe is right inside your head, your brain. Ask God for wisdom to use the mind that he's given you to make right decisions. So here's some things that I think we should understand. Obedience and sacrifice go hand in hand with wisdom and guidance. See, if you want to know the will of God and the wisdom of God, then begin by obeying the word of God. Begin by uh, giving a sacrifice of worship every time you come. Draw near to God. If you want to know his wisdom, draw near to him. Coming to church every Sunday is a great way to start that. To be in fellowship with other believers. And what I love about the fellowship we have here is we are all imperfect people. I'm a sinful person. But I'm saved by the amazing grace of God 
of God. And we all come to the cross on equal footing. And we are nourished and built up and edified by the amazing grace of God that's applied to our lives. And we come together and there's this amazing connection that we have. Because we all believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through Him. And that binds us together in the body of Christ. And we are brothers and sisters in Him. When we have that foundation, that obedient response to the Word of God, to live like that with that understanding, that goes hand in hand with God giving us His wisdom and His guidance. Second Chronicles 1.5 says this, Moreover, the bronze altar that... Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the assembly sought it out. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord to sacrifice to the Lord. Here's another point. Wisdom leads to other specific blessings that God desires to pour into our lives. See, when we worship him, and we sacrifice, there are other blessings that God begins to pour into our lives. It's an issue of tasting and seeing that the Lord's will is good and perfect. And when we live it out, we're like, yeah, this works. My marriage is getting stronger. My family is getting stronger. The lives of my children are changing. My testimony at work is improving. See, these are all things that happen when we follow the word of God. Here's another thing that we need to see, and it's this. True wisdom requires faithful application in every aspect of our lives. Let me put on the screen a pie chart of our lives. All these different components, right? All these different parts of our lives. There's the work component. There's the financial component, how we deal with money, our relationships with one another, our community involvement, our entertainment, our intellectual pursuits, our passions, our emotions, and how we deal with problems and joys in our lives, our family, our private life, and Christ, all those different components of our lives. Now, you might rebel a little bit, the one that says Christ, right? Because Christ should really be the one aspect of our lives that oversees every other component of our lives. That my work is changed because of Christ. My financial dealings and how I handle money is changed because of Christ. My relationships are changed because of Jesus. How I involve myself in the community changes because I'm a Christian. My intellectual pursuits change as a believer in Christ. My passions and emotions under the authority of Christ. No rationalizing, no excusing, uh, bad application of our emotions in our lives. The way we do family is under the authority of Christ. Our private life, what we do when no one is looking, under the authority of Jesus. See, every one of those components we need to put under the faithful application of wisdom in our lives. God, I want your wisdom to change the way I do everything. The way I do everything. I'm always asking myself, what does the Word of God say? See, and that's the beauty of Solomon's request as this new king. Colossians 1.28 says this, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's a great theme verse for this church, by the way. 
That would be a great verse for this church. We proclaim Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The word uh, in the Greek there for mature is teleon. It, it means to be complete, fully grown up. It's the word that Jesus used on the cross according to the Greek New Testament. It is tetelestai. It is completion. Fully completed. See, that's our goal as a believer. Lord, to grow me up, to make me love your word, love the teachings of it and apply it to my life. Now, Solomon reigned 40 years, and he was given amazing wisdom. But as you read about the life of Solomon, you read this sad story where he begins to marry wives from other countries to keep peace with other countries. And he did that as a way to, to keep peace in the nation of Israel. But here's the sad part. When those women came from other countries, these wives from other countries, they would bring with them their idol worship. And Solomon allowed it. He even allowed there to be temples set up in the nation of Israel, compromising the purity of the nation of Israel. It was a sad thing. Solomon compromised. Even in all of his wisdom, he ended up failing at the end of his career. He had a, a good reign until he started to give in to little compromises in the purity of the nation of Israel. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 11. This is a sad passage, but it's a warning for all of us. Verse 9 of chapter 11 and you just, your heart breaks when you read this passage. A man that had so much wisdom wrote three books in the Bible. Back to the start of verse 4. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David's father has done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all of his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days." but I will tear it out of your hand of your son. That's exactly what happened because Solomon compromised. And I want to challenge you with this last point. True wisdom realizes the ongoing danger of destructive compromise. Don't compromise the word of God. Don't compromise it in your life. If there's something going on in your heart, don't allow anything to enter uh, your heart or your life that's a compromising of the truths of God's word. 
to stand up and say, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to be a fool like Solomon who set up altars to other gods to appease his wives. See, here's true wisdom. It'll passionately guard the condition of our hearts. True wisdom will passionately guard the condition of our hearts. Wake up every morning saying, God, I love you. Thank you for this new day. It's a wonderful gift. I give this day to you. It's wholly yours. My heart is wholly yours, God. Don't allow anything to compromise your walk with God. You guard the condition of your hearts. Solomon began to slip. I'm sure it was one little compromise after another. One little compromise. That's how sin is, right? It starts out very innocently. I may have used this illustration before, but if I brought the strongest guy up on stage, Hank, you're a pretty strong guy. If If I brought you up on stage and I had a piece of thread and I wrapped it around Hank's wrist one time, Hank could easily break that. If I wrap that piece of thread, it's so thin, it's so, it seems so innocent. If I wrap that same piece of thread around, around Hank's wrist two or three times, he'd struggle, but he'd be able to break it. If I took that same piece of thread and wrapped it around his wrist 20 times, that little piece of thread would have Hank as its prisoner. That's how sin is. It seems so easy to break in the beginning, so innocent at the beginning. But what starts out so innocently becomes your master after time. Guard the condition of your hearts. Don't let any sin begin in your life. If there's a person that you need to forgive, forgive that person. If there's something in your life that needs to be taken out of your life and ripped out of your life, rip it out. Get rid of it. Guard the condition of your hearts. Here's the second thing. True wisdom will faithfully produce fruit in your life. So that's a great way to know that you're living out wisdom in your life. There's a fruit that comes with it. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. See, if you're wise, then show it by your good works, your meekness in your wisdom. See, there's a fruit that comes with godly wisdom. And here's the last point. True wisdom will consistently point people to Christ. If you're living your life today for Jesus, then you're making an impact on others, consistently pointing people to Christ. You know, we've talked about three kings today. And if I put three chairs up on the screen like I have here, each one representing Saul, David, and Solomon, each one representing a king, And we've looked at their lives, right? Saul, a failure, no heart for God. David, someone who had a whole heart for God, sought after God. Solomon, sadly, had a compromised heart, a half heart for God. And I asked you, which seat, if you were honest, would you sit in today that best represents your heart before the Lord? If it's no heart for God, that can change today. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I give you my heart. I want to follow you from this day forward. You died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I place my faith and trust in you. You can move to the whole heart seat in a moment. Is it a half heart? 
Maybe today your decision is, Lord, I need to get rid of the things that are compromised in my life. I don't want to be like Solomon who started out so well. He did so well in the beginning, but then began to compromise in little ways. And the Lord ripped the kingdom out of his son's hands. Where would you be today? I want to challenge you today to say, Lord, I give you my whole heart. No more compromise, no more mediocre Christianity, no more living in mediocrity. I give you my whole life, Lord, my whole heart from this day forward. Let's have a word of prayer. As your heads are bowed today, where's your heart at? Solomon is such a sad case in the Bible. Man who was given so much wisdom, yet even with that wisdom, began to make foolish decisions at the end of his life. Lord, I pray that each one of us would leave this place not allowing those small compromises to come into our lives, but to change by your power, God. And Lord, I pray that we would take your wisdom and love it, cherish it, apply it to our lives in everything that we do. Husbands applying your wisdom. Wives applying your wisdom. Children applying your wisdom. Help us to see the foolishness of this world. Help us to see the foolishness of fleshly decisions that go against your word. Lord, we love you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Sing this song. If you got pain, he's a pain taker.